Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. You are aboard a Chinese junk run aground off the coast of Borneo. And paddling toward you are the canoes of the deadly Dayak headhunters. Your powder is wet and your throat is dry. Because for you, there is no escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the Orient of 150 years ago, to the Manila of 1790, in Richard Matthews Hallett's story of a wooden ship and an iron man. Misfortune's Isle. The water which was lying at anchor so close up against the jetty, I could have leaned over and spit on the wheels of the elegant Spanish carriages clattering along the promenade. And that's exactly what I felt like doing. I'd been away from Salem for three years now. Three years of sailing a trader brig through the China Seas and south into the Spice Islands. <laughs> All for what? The whole thing had grown stale suddenly. I was plainly and simply bored. Young Poe stood beside me there at the taffrail and tried to console me with philosophy. He'd anchored his sailing junk alongside earlier in the day and come aboard to renew a friendship that started two years before at Tianjin when I hauled him out from under an executioner's axe. He was under it because he just sold me six fine fat pigs without remembering they happened to be the sacred property of the Tianjin temple. <laughs> oh, Yang Po was a real philosopher, all right. Uh, anyway, my friend, I reserve my sympathies for the poor. You have gained much wealth and trade. Aye, and a few measly gold pieces. But the trouble is out here, a man can't go it on his own. He needs backing. What more backing could a rush man desire than those eight brass cannon at the rail? Aye, they're fair guns, all right. But it's a flag I'm speaking of. Do these unworthy eyes not see a pennant there at the masthead? The bunning of Salem swings no weight out here. In the south, it's the Dutch who call the turns. On the coast, the British, and here in Manila, it's the Spanish. Ah, man, had... Young Poe. There she comes now, in the second carriage there. 
That's the fourth time since high noon she's come past. Oh, four fine horses and two footmen. She rides in style. Watch. Watch. She'll look up at the ship. She has every time today. Ha! There you see. Ah, that one. The little cagered bird. You know her? I know of her. She is wife of Don Narciso Crispo, the Spanish nobleman who is captain general of the island south of Zamboanga. He is in residence here in Manila. Hmm. She looks very sad. Uh, why is she called the little caged bird? One glimpse of Don Narciso would answer your question better than a thousand words. Hmm. She's very beautiful, too. I'll swear she looked back and smiled just then. Captain Arad, once in pity, I set free a parakeet which I had found caught in a net. I still bear a scar from its beak. Some things may be worth taking chances for. <laughs> ah, me, I find it so much simpler to go to sleep and dream of maidens on the moon. Ah, but the moon's too far away. Hey, Rad, where are you? Huh? Oh, up here, Michael, on the quarterdeck. Oh, then the honorable red-headed one is still your first mate? Aye, that he is. What's the matter, Michael? Oh, matter indeed. Haven't you heard all the excitement in town? I've been looking... Well, young Poo, haven't they hung you yet? <laughs> This on what they want is touched by your concern, Mr. O'Kane. <laughs> what do you mean by excitement? I've been on board all day. Oh, now, last night, with all their soldiers on guard and the stone ramparts and all, a band of pirates slipped ashore down coast and got through into the city. Pirates? Aye. Oh, Ten thousand bushels of misfortune. They may possibly think it was me. Oh, they <laughs> have no clue as to who it was. Got away scot-free, they did. And they almost abducted the Captain General of Zamboango himself. What? Aye, aye. An important grandee by the name of Don Narcisco, something or other. His guard finally heard them. Ah, pity. Fortune not with you, Captain Arad. Ah, but here's the part that'll stop you. There is no one in Manila that knows who they were, except yours truly, Michael O'Kane. Go on. Eh? <laughs> Here, have a look at that. Hmm. Well, it's a Manchester cutlass. Aye. And there's the mark on the handle. It's one we traded to Serif. Aye, aye, the bandit king of North Borneo. And it was me found this morning on the beach where the pirate boat came ashore. You found it? No, 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 not quite. Uh, a melee by the name of Jambu brought it to me. Ah, Jambu. 10,000 sampans filled with spoiled fish. You know the fellow? I have used him as interpreter. He speaks Dayak. But in some former incarnation, he undoubtedly was ill. Mm. You know... I think this may be exactly what I need. Need? For what, I read? <laughs> to make fortunes for the three of us. Uh, I certainly remember an unexpected appointment. Aye, aye, young Poe. It's a plan that won't work without you. I'm not talking of bare profits. This means a fortune. I, I am amazed. There is much talk of money, and yet very little talk of Spanish lady. <laughs> I've heard rumors on shore about these Spanish lasses. For one thing, they wear no stockings. Huh? And how's a man to know it, Michael? <laughs> you can't count too much on hearsay. Well, no, it was a Spaniard that told me. All right, now listen, lads. Let me tell you the plan. And if we're all agreed, I'll go ashore and talk to this Don Narciso. Uh, after I have heard it, I think I shall go and sacrifice White Rooster to Queen of Heaven, though I doubt it will do a great deal of good. The only thing I can't understand is why this Jamboo didn't take the cutlass to Don Narciso in the first place. It is quite possible he did take it there in first place, Captain Arad. It is point worth consideration. It took a bit of talking right enough, but finally the others agreed to the plan. And no more than two hours later, 
I was talking to the Captain General of Zamboango himself. He turned out to be a little monkey of a man, yellow as a faded sunflower and much older than I expected to find. I am quite well satisfied regarding your identification of those who perpetrated the outrage, Captain Arnold. But maledictions uh, and fatalities. I have also heard the stories of this pirate, Serif. No, I think a broadside of my 32 pounders can furnish him enough fatalities, Excellency. It's not that simple. They say his headquarters on the Borneo coast is nothing less than a fortress. Ah, it's only a bamboo stockade lying at the mouth of the river. And it's in range of the guns on my brig. My friend Yang Po has been there. But hard against the mouth of the river is the Pluchalaka. Mm, misfortune's isle, huh? Aye. And on it, limestone caves filled with birds' nests worth $50 a pound in Canton. That may well be, Captain Arat. But there is also the Yupas tree. You must have heard of it. Aye. <laughs> but I count little on hearsay, Excellency. It is not hearsay. The Dayak headhunters poisoned their spears and arrows with its juices. I have seen men scratched by them die like that. Some things are worth taking chances for. I must say that I quite agree with you, Dantito. Delfina, eh? Uh, Captain Arat. Uh, may I present my wife, Doña Delfina de Crispo? Uh, Captain Arat. I'm honored. Martizo, I have heard it all. You must agree to this expedition. Huh? You know the king's offer? Any man who reads these islands of pirates to be made a conde with lands and titles. To have both lands and titles, my dear. Uh, what is it you expect from this, Captain Arat? A fortune, Excellency. Huh? The bird's nests themselves should be worth a half million Yankee dollars. And there's gold and antimony in the river. And trade with the Dyaks. Uh, precisely what is the plan of yours? Well, 50 of Seraph's men are Chinese who once served Yang Po. They'll come in with us if he can get word to them. That'll make things easier. And how do you expect to get word to them? Uh, Yang Po and I'll sail in ahead of his junk and try to contact them. My mate will bring up the water witch 24 hours later and then we'll attack. And exactly why have you come to me? Well, were I to do it without official support, I'd, I'd be judged a pirate myself, wouldn't I? <laughs> I don't know. It would be a great thing uh, if it could be done. Narciso. See? Why not think of it tonight and decide in the morning? Yeah, I think that may be a wise suggestion. Then allow me to show you out, Captain Eric. By your leave, Excellency. Until yeah, tomorrow, then. Good day, Captain. This way, please. He will agree. You may depend on it. Good. I hope also that His Excellency will accompany us personally. He will. You can be certain of it. You uh, seem quite sure of that. Who do you think it was who had the cutlass sent to you? You? Here is the door, Capitan. I will say, Ariosito now. In our language, it means goodbye for a little while. For a little while, huh? Well, in that case, adiosito. Delfino was right. The next morning, he agreed to it. And two days later, we sailed out of Manila Harbor. Don Narciso accompanied me on Yang Po's junk, and Michael O'Kane followed at the helm of the water witch. Our luck deserted us as we rounded the corregidor and sailed square into the tail end of a typhoon. 
There was little wind, but a heavy sea was running, and it took us on the port bow for all that night and the next day. We lost sight of the water witch, and the leaky old junk pitched and rolled like a dory. Young Poe stayed mostly below in his bunk and dreamed peacefully of the maidens on the moon, while I stayed on deck and skippered her through it. It was late the second night before I had a chance to go down to my cabin. Buenas noches, Capitan. Delfina! What in the name of the devil are you doing aboard? Being fussed about mostly. It is a very unsteady ship you have, Capitan. Well, it should be a lot more unsteady when a hundred Dayak headhunters start trying to board her. How did you arrive here? In a sack of feathers. It's really all that saved me during the storm, you know. Oh, confound it. Don't you realize your husband is on board? Sleeping in the deck cabin. Suppose he should come down here for something. He did once. I hid in the wardrobe. Oh, all the fool tricks. But you did say Oriosito. For a little while. Yes, but it wasn't an invitation. Who could tell? Anyway, I shall prove quite valuable to you. I doubt it. You will see. Nardiso will become frightened at the last moment. He always does. And what will you do? Whatever is required at the time. I am not afraid of fighting my captain. I have seen it before. Oh, confound it. We had a fortune in our reach, and now you come along and ruin it. You underestimate me. Well, I won't do that again. You are very rude. I meant to be. Uh, why did you marry him? I had no choice. My father was ambitious. Altiso was influential. And did your father realize his ambition? See, si. He became a colonel. And was killed at Santiago de Chile. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. And now if you'll remove yourself from my bunk, I need some sleep. If you are going to move in here, then... What am I going to do? Oh, you'll think of something. You made all your own plans so far. Oh, thank you. But if my husband sees me, then he may think you brought me on board. Well, in that case, I shall be forced to kill him in a duel. Good night. You... You are going to sleep? I hope to. Try the shrine of the Queen of Heaven. It's the last cabin in the stern. No one goes there but Yang Po, and he'll have to be told about you anyway. Good night. <laughs> Even when you are rude to me, your mouth is so very sweet. Buenas noches. Well, woman or no woman aboard, it was too late to turn back now. And so two days later, we dropped anchor at the mouth of Serif's River. Off the port rail, a quarter mile away, lay the pirate stockade. It was backed up by the dark green mass of jungle. And on the opposite side of the junk, across a hundred yards or so of water, was the beach of Misfortune's Isle, sloping back to break sharply on the foot of the limestone cliffs. On the upper shoulders of those cliffs were the caves with a fortune in edible bird's nests. And between the cliffs and the water stood the upas tree. A hundred legends were told about the upas tree, how its shadow could kill a man, how the spirit of a white goddess was prisoned in the thick, dark foliage of its top, and how birds that lighted on its branches fell dead to the ground. But one thing at least was true enough. The Dyaks made a horrible poison from the juice of its bark, and they worshipped the tree. 
Young Po took the renegade interpreter, Jambu, with him and went ashore to pay his respects to Serif and at the same time was to pass the word to his Chinese friends. It was late afternoon when he came back and I'd become nearly as uneasy as Don Narciso. Young Po came aboard alone and motioned me to follow him below, saying nothing until we were alone in my cabin. It is my humble opinion, Captain Arad, that heaven favors us with decided lack of fortune. Why? What happened? A serif most polite. I most polite. We enjoy most friendly conversation while we both held our knives beneath our robes. All very polite. Well, did you get word to your men? Uh, serif blessed with presents of 200 dayaks and 50 melees. My own brethren are unfortunately down the coast for two days. Oh, that's a bad piece of luck. Ah, but I have news of much worse one. Jambu, that son of 10,000 devils, has deserted us. Deserted? He what? has joined Sarif. Oh, he'll tell him exactly what we're planning. Do not believe Jambu would do such a thing. Dolphina, I told you to stay out of this cabin. Jambu worships me. He's my slave wife. It was he who helped me sleep on board. Oh, so that's why he's done it. He has not deserted. What could he hope to gain by it? You, probably. This unworthy one offers suggestion that we stand out to sea until water which come tomorrow. A fine idea, except for one thing. Your sleepy little sons of heaven left the cable slack. We're grounded on a mud bar with no chance of moving before the tide tomorrow morning. Well, we'll have to stand and fight. Ah, uh, yes, they are so callous. I forgot to tell you, they even neglected to cover powder during storm. The water ruined it. Well, then we'll not even have the four cannon. A really matter of slight importance. they only ornaments. They would blow up if we fired them. You could hardly have picked a more suitable time to tell me. Well, we'll fight without them. Ah, the impetuosity of youth. I think I sleep for a while and dream of maidens on the moon. Young Po, you'll stay on your feet and start your men boiling kettles of oil and piling rocks by the rail. It would be so much pleasanter to die in one sleep. If I know Serif, he'll not attack until nearly midnight. Delfina, can you swim? I can do anything. Primarily, I want to know if you can swim. I can. Good. Young Po, I'll be back and help you in an hour, but I have a job to do first. Come along, Kundesa. It was dark when we slipped into the water and struck out for the island. If I had tried to lower a boat, they might have seen us from the shore. I could see no other way to keep her out of it. The rest of us had no chance. I knew how the Dayaks fought. We could expect no help. And on board, she would have been the only one of us left alive. Aye. Jambu would see to that. We made the beach safely, crossed it, and worked our way up the steep path on the face of the cliff. Finally, we reached the ledge in front of the caves. Oh, it is so dark here. It frightens me. Well, there's nothing to harm you. Bats in the caves, perhaps, but nothing else. I am to stay here alone, then? Aye, until the water which comes into anchor tomorrow. Light this torch, then, and signal them. They'll come ashore and take you off. Tomorrow? Where will you be tomorrow, Aret? You are going back there to die with him, aren't you? We'll have a fighting chance. You have no chance at all, and you know it. Don't go. Stay with me, Aret. You know that's impossible. No, no this man, 
young boy is no better than a pirate himself, and you cannot help him by losing your own life or stay with me. And what of your husband? Do not go back. I beg you, please, Aret. Delfina, you have a deadlier poison than the upas tree itself. Will you force me then to stay here in safety and watch you die on those decks there below us? Well, will it make so very much difference to you? So much that I would not care to be alive tomorrow. In Manila, I hated my life. I prayed for earthquakes, pirates, death, anything. But now I pray only that you may live through this night. Delfina, Delfina, there's nothing can be said. Leave then if you must. But before you do, kiss me. Delfina. When it's not just precioso. Adiosito. Adiosito. For a little while. Had I stayed there one moment longer, I should never have left her. Back aboard the junk, I found young Poe rushing preparations for the hopeless fight that stood ahead of us. Don Narciso was shivering on the quarterdeck, and I saw no reason to tell him his wife had made the trip with us. The Chinese crew had piled stones and smoke pots at the rail, ready to throw down on the heads of the Dayaks who had tried aboard us, and kettles of oil were being heated over a brick hearth by the mast. Paper lanterns had been lighted and hung about the rigging, but outside the narrow limits of the deck we could see nothing. Nothing but the black wall of the Borneo night. That same dark wall shut off any sight of the upas tree and of the cliff face where Delfina lay hidden. But I knew from the ledge she could see us moving about on the lighted deck. I loaded my pistols with the only dry powder aboard and we waited. There was no light on shore and no sound. And three hours went past. Senores, have all possible measures been taken? My venerable Captain General, I have offered incense and rice to Queen of Heaven. If our enemies prevail after that, then we have mistreated them in some former life. I go below to sleep. Sleep? And who is to give orders to your men? Uh, they give them to one another, Excellency. They are all commanders in their own right. We may perhaps meet later in third or fourth heaven. With powder, a traitor aboard, and the ground of the ship. I might warn you before the attack starts, Your Excellency. Stay away from the rail, at least until after the smoke pots are thrown. Oh? The Dayaks use bamboo poles with iron hooks on the end, and... Well, they can reach up and drag a man over the rail easier than picking coconuts. Captain Arat, hmm? perhaps we could uh, surrender, uh, make peace somehow. They'll uh, take we... no surrender. They want our heads. Ah! Look, they're on us. Young Paul and Dak, here they come. Watch the rails, Your Excellency. Use your cutlass if a head comes over the side and look out for the hooks. Oh, Dak! Oh, Dak! 
Sheriff's Dyak's warriors had run their boats in against the sides of the junk and now were pushing their murderous hooks over the rail. The Chinese crew was fighting like madmen, tossing over smoke pots, smashing those heavy rocks down on the heads of the pirate mob, pouring out smoking kettles of boiling oil. And the whole curtain of night was torn by the screams of agony. Captain Ellard, we find ourselves suddenly without smoke pots or soothing oil, and rocks are nearly gone. Aye, they'll be swarming aboard us in another two minutes. Where's the Captain General? Uh, he has retired to cabin. It would be uncharitable to say he hides there. Well, a lot of good it'll do him. What happened? Young Poe. They're on the island. Look. It would appear top of Sacred Yupas tree has burst into flame. The great flaming torch of the tree spread into full bloom and leaped up to the heavens, lighting the whole sea around us. And everywhere about us, screaming in hoarse terror, the Dyaks drew off in their boats and stared at the blazing death of their sacred tree. And then in full view on the glaring face of the cliff, the beautiful and weird figure of a woman, hair streaming behind it, swung slowly out from behind the flame, and up and up and then disappeared over the ledge in front of the caves. And at the sight of their white goddess escaping from her prison in the tree, the Dyaks broke in panic and turned their boats and raced for the shore. And while I thought of the signal torch I'd left with Delphina, suddenly the battle was over. Ten thousand bushels of unexpected good fortune. The little parakeet has saved our worthless lives. Aye, then you recognize it. Uh, these venerable eyes have never looked upon sight more fair. I shall address her hereafter as Princess of Heaven. Uh, and I think perhaps another recognized her also. Caramba, did you not see it? That was Delphina. It was my wife. I know. She was aboard with us. Aboard with us? By your permission, senor? No, she stowed away and asked that the knowledge of her presence be kept from you. I have no doubt she found you quite agreeable to such a plan. Take care, Excellency. Take care? I will see your hand, senor. And thus for her, I shall whip her through the streets of Manila. We will discuss that later. I do not discuss my decisions. In fact, it may be better that I bring her boat at once and perhaps beat her to death on this very deck. You'll pardon me. It is my humble opinion that elderly men should learn to control their emotions. Wait, wait. There's a Dayak warrior hiding there by the rail. <laughs> the boats have gone and left him. Excellency! Excellency, away from that rail! I take no orders from you, senor! Get back! Look out! Silence! Dogger! Wait, young <laughs> Very commendable shooting, Captain Aran. Aye, but little use to the Captain General, I'm afraid. See what you can do for him, Yang Po. I'm going ashore to look after her. See what I can do for him. Now, how can I be expected to replace man's head on his body, especially when head seems to have rolled overboard? There's not the least bit of use in giving me a poet's blarney, old reprobate. It was nothing but pure luck that kept me from sailing in here this morning and finding nothing but your heads all a-smoking in a row. A little dreams of Queen of Heaven, Mr. O'Kane. Not to mention, of course, those of uh, a princess. Oh, that Spanish lad, eh? <laughs> and quite a one she's turned out to be. I plan to devote a remainder of my unworthy life to rescue of small birds from nets. Now that vintage time... Oh, oh, come in, Arad. I've been wondering where to find you. I was charting the course. Ah, well, we can sail in the morning. Both ships are nearly loaded. 
Good. We'll head for Kent. Young Poe, this friend of yours there, this Hong Kwa. Some good quality of silk to trade. It is possible. Ah, silk, is it now? And what will you be wanting silk for, Arad? Eh, well, uh... Well, it's not silk. I, 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 I mean, oh, not come exactly. Come on, come on. It's what, what? Uh, if it's not silk, Arad, eh, then what is it, hmm? Oh, all right, Michael, if you have to know everything. I want to trade with him for... for a dozen pair of silk stockings. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Misfortune's Isle by Richard Matthews Hallett. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. With Paul Fries as Captain Arad. Virginia Gregg as Dona Delfina. Bill Conrad as Young Poe. Barry Kroger as Don Narciso. And Tony Barrett as Mike O'Kane. <laughs> have too many Easter eggs today. Dreaming about that vacation you can't take yet. Want to get away from it all? We offer you escape. You are groping your way slowly through the dark hold of a ship at sea. Moving carefully, step by step. Searching intently for something you dread to find. Because you know that this ship carries a cargo of death. Escape. Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, at your request, we bring back one of our most popular escape stories. We escape to a harbor front in Venezuela, and a grim voyage which started from there, as told by Martin Storm in his gripping tale, A Shipment of Mute Fate. Stopped on the wharf at LaGuara, looked up the gangplank toward the liner Changke, standing there quietly at her moorings. The day was warm under a bright tropic sun. The harbor beyond the ship lay drowsy and silent. But all at once, in the midst of those peaceful surroundings, a cold chill gripped me, and I shivered with sudden dread dread of the thing I was doing and was about to do. Too much had happened to turn back now. I'd gone too far to stop. I set the box down on the edge of the wharf, placed it carefully so as to be in plain sight, and within gunshot of the captain's bridge. I knew what I was going to do, but I couldn't forget that a certain pair of beady eyes were watching every move I made. Eyes that never blinked and never closed, just watched and waited. I turned and started up the gangplank. Oh! Oh! You've startled me, sir. 
Why, it's Mr. Warner. Well, hello, Mother Willis. How's the best-looking stewardess on the seven seas? Well, I'm, I'm fine, Mr. Warner. I, I guess I'd better run along now. Get on with my chores. Oh, now, wait a minute. That's a fine greeting after two months. Well, just that I'm so busy. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it. Sailing day's tomorrow. You're simply avoiding me, that's all. Oh, no, really, I'm not. And on the trip down from New York, you said I was your favorite passenger. But I'm only... Yeah, yeah, a... what's that you're carrying in your apron? Oh, oh it's nothing, just, just supplies. Supplies? Let's have a look. No, please. Well, <laughs> it's a cat. It's Clara, Mr. Warner. Mr. Bowman said I had to leave her ashore, and I just couldn't. Who's Mr. Bowman? the new second mate. Clara's been aboard with me for two years, and I just can't leave her here in a foreign country, especially with with her condition so delicate and all. Uh, yes, <clears throat> I see. Well, I hope you get away with it. You, you won't tell anyone. Not a soul. As a matter of fact, if things don't work out right, we may both end up smuggling. Happy to have you aboard on the trip down two months ago, Christopher, and I'm very glad you're coming along with us on the run back to New York. Well, thanks, Captain Wood. Uh, there is one thing, though. I'm having a little trouble with the customs men here, and I wonder I if... can't do it, Christopher. I just cabled your father this morning and told him I'd have done it for you if I possibly could. Uh, he sent a request from New York, you know. Uh, yeah, I thought he would. I wired him from upriver last week. I hated to refuse, but it's absolutely out of the question. Captain Wood, I'm afraid I don't follow you. Responsibility to the passengers, son. We'll have women and children aboard. On a liner, the safety of the passengers comes ahead of anything else. But with proper precautions... Something might happen. What? I don't know what, but something might. Carried worse things. There isn't anything worse. Any skipper afloat will bear me out. No, Christopher, I simply can't take the chance, and that's final. Final. It wasn't final if I could do anything about it. I hadn't come down here to spend two months in that stinking backcountry and then be stopped on the edge of the wharf. Two months of it. Heat, rain, insects, malaria. I'd gone clear in past the headwaters of the Orinoco. Traveled through country where every step along the jungle trail might be the last one. Sanchez! Si, senor Wonder. Better start looking for a place to camp. Be dark in a little while. Si, senor. Uh, very soon we turn to river. Camp on rocks by water. This uh, very bad country. This very bad country. We've been saying that for ten days now. Very bad country. Si, senor Warner. This very bad country. Yeah, skip it. For all the luck we've had so far, it might as well be Central Park. Uh, Central uh, Park? Uh, I don't understand. Never mind. Yeah, hey, what's the matter? Quiet now! Sanchez, what's wrong? They're in the past. See, Bushmaster. Bushmaster, the deadliest snake in the world. Bushmaster, his Latin name was Lacasus Muta, Mute Fate. It lay there in the center of the path, a ten-foot length of silent death, coiled loosely in an undulant loop, ready to strike violently at the least movement. Here was the one snake that would go after any animal that walked, or any man that lay there and watched us, not moving, not afraid, ready for anything. The splotch of its color stood out like some horrible, gaudy floor mat lying there on the brown background of the jungle, waiting for someone to step on it. 
Here was what I'd come 2,000 miles for, a Bushmaster. The natives captured the snake and Sanchez brought it to me in a rubber bag. He was shaking so hard I thought for a moment the thing had struck him. One thing you make sure, Senor Warner, not turn him loose in Venezuela. Because he know I the one who catch him, and he know where I live. All right, Sanchez, I'll keep an eye on him. He also know you pay me to catch him. All the time he watch and wait. You no forget that, Senor Warner, because he no forget. Not ever. Well, after going through all that trouble and danger and laying out 1,500 bucks, I wasn't going to let a pig-headed ship captain stop me at the last minute. At least not as long as the cables were still in operation between LaGuardia and New York. Good morning, Captain Wood. The boy at the hotel said you wanted to see me. That's right, Christopher. Sit down. Thanks. Seems you weren't willing to let matters stand the way we left him yesterday. I'm sorry to go with your head, Captain Wood, but I had to. The museum sent me a long way to get that snake. I'm not going to be stopped by red tape. This will be the only live Bushmaster ever brought to the United States. Oh, yes, and if I had my way. But... Orders are orders. Got a cable from the head office this morning. All right, Christopher, suppose we talk about precautions. I'll handle it any way you say. It's got to have a stronger box. That crate's too flimsy. Well, it's stronger than it looks. A wire screen on top would hold a wildcat. Mm. But anyway, I bought a heavy sea chest this morning. We'll put the crate inside of it. That sounds all right. You got a lock on it. Yeah, a heavy padlock. It's fixed so the lid can be propped open a crack without unlocking it. Snake's got to have air. In dirty weather, that lid has to stay shut. I'll take no chances. Fair enough. We'll keep the thing in my inside cabin where I sleep. You can't have it in the baggage room. And nobody on board is to know about it. Whatever you say, Captain. We won't have any trouble after all. It's only an animal that doesn't have any magical powers. I saw a Bushmaster in the zoo at Caracas once. They had it in a glass cage with double walls. Never moved. Just lay there and looked at you as long as you were in sight. Enough to give a man the creeps. Didn't know they had a Bushmaster at the Caracas Zoo. They don't now. They found the glass broken one morning and the snake gone, the night watchman dead. They never learned exactly what happened. Well, the watchman must have broken the glass by accident some way. The way they figured it, the glass was broken from the inside. Uh, we uh, sail in four hours. End of the Caribbean perfect weather and a sea as smooth as an inland lake. The barometer dropped a little on the third day, but cleared up overnight, left nothing worse than a heavy swell. But in spite of the calm seas and pleasant weather, I found myself feeling more and more often a, an ominous foreboding. I was developing an almost unnatural fear of that snake. Stayed clear of the passengers pretty much, got the habit of dropping into Captain Wood's quarters several times a day. Kept the heavy box underneath his berth. Approach it quietly and shine my flashlight through the open crack. Never once could I catch that 12-foot devil asleep. Or even excited. He'd be lying there half-coiled, his head raised a little. Staring out of those beady black eyes. Waiting. He'd still be like that when I turned away to leave. Maybe that's what bothered me. That horrible and constant watchful waiting. In the name of heaven was he waiting for? Well, huh? hello there, Mr. Warner. Oh, how are you, Mother Willis? 
My, but you and the captain spend an awful lot of time around this cabin. I'm beginning to think the two of you must have some guilty secret. <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that, Mother Willis. I, I don't know about Captain Wood, but I certainly don't have any guilty secret. She's running quite a swell out there, Mr. Bowman. Yeah, it's a little heavy, all right, Mr. Warner. Guess the storm passed through to the west of us yesterday when the glass dropped. You think it missed us then, huh? Yeah, that's what the mate figures. Sure stirred up some water, though. <laughs> This'll put half the passengers in their bunks. They'll keep Mother Willis so busy. She... Hey, look at the size of that wave. Huh? Great gee, Hossifat, we're going to take it on the port bow. Hang on! That was a freak if there ever was one. Not another wave that size in sight. Oh, you see them like that sometimes, even in a calm sea. I got to get below, Mr. Warner. That water probably did some real damage in the officer's deck. Yeah, I... What did you say? The wheel companionway was open on the port side. The bridge cabins must have taken a pretty bad smashing up. They're right below the... Something wrong, Mr. Warner? No. No, nothing at all, Mr. Bowman. At least I hope not. I didn't stop to find Captain Wood. Of course, I know it was only one chance in a thousand, but the chances against that freak wave were one in a thousand, too. I stumbled down the companionway and along the passage to the captain's cabin. Oh, come in, Mr. Warner. Mother Willis. My, isn't this cabin a mess? Trying to get some of these things out to dry. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to... Ch Where's that box that was under the captain's bunk? Oh, that? Well, I just threw it out on the deck. What? Well, the desk over there slid into it. It was all smashed. But the small box inside of it, what happened to it? Oh, they were both splintered, Mr. Warner. Broke wide open. No. Well, Mr. Warner, you're white as a sheet. Mother Willis, go find Captain Wood. Tell him to come down here immediately. Well, of course, Mr. Warner. I'll go tell him right away. I can finish up here later. Open the top drawer of the bureau inside. Took out the captain's flashlight and loaded pistol. Mother Willis had left a mop standing by the door. I put my foot on the head of it and snapped off the handle. Every move I made turned into slow motion. I could hear my own heart beating. Slowly, I started to search the cabin. Sodden heaps of clothing and furnishings were scattered around on the wet black floor. I punched at them one at a time, holding the gun cocked, flashlight pointing along the stick. Nothing. I worked around the room, throwing the light into the dark corners, back of the desk, under the bunk. Wherever I turned, I could feel those cold, unblinking eyes at my back, watching, waiting. Using the stick, I pushed open the closet door and threw the light inside. Carefully, I poked at the boxes and junk on the floor. Snake was not in the closet. Inch by inch, I covered the entire cabin. And only then, a horrible realization began to dawn on me. Captain Wood. Mother Willis just told me. Well, Christopher, it's happened. That's right, it's happened. I see you found the gun. We better start searching the cabin here. Captain Wood, I just finished searching it. Oh, then. Women, kids, and that thing loose on board. 
A thousand places for it to hide. Heaven help us, Christopher. Anybody now, gentlemen, I didn't call you in here to pass judgment. The thing's done, and that's that. Well, you're right there, Captain. What we have got to do is to make up our minds how we're going to handle it. And it'd be easier if we didn't have to tell the passengers and crew. I've seen panics aboard liners before. Yes, I agree with you, Mr. Bowman. But I don't quite see how we can avoid it. They've got a right to know. As long as that snake's loose, everybody on board's in the same danger, and they all ought to know about it. Captain Wood, that thing is 12 feet long. It can't simply crawl into a crack. Why don't we make a quick search of the whole ship before we spread any alarm? I've thought of that, Christopher. Uh, as far as I can see, the only place it couldn't be is in the boilers or on top of the galley stove. Well, it might have crawled overboard. We can't count on that. We've got to assume it's on the ship somewhere. Yeah, and that could be anywhere. In a coil of rope, on a deck chair, a fire bucket, or in a pile of clothes. Yes, yes, or under some woman's berth or a baby's crib. You've already said it. The Bushmaster could be anywhere. We've got to do something. We've got to do it fast. All right. I think the best idea is to follow Mr. Warner's suggestion and make a quick search first. You agree to that? Right. right. And if we don't find it, we'll have to warn the passengers. We've got to find it. Alone in the dim baggage room, I went through the same movements as I had earlier in the captain's cabin. Gun in one hand, flashlight in the other, poking into every dark corner, behind every trunk and box. Since the baggage room was empty, I could keep the gun cocked and ready. The rest of those poor devils were having to do the same thing. Barehanded. All over the ship, the search went on. Here now, Stuart. What on earth are you doing rummaging through my cabin? Just checking up, ma'am. Well, I'm quite sure there's nothing in here that has to be checked. Sorry, ma'am. Captain's orders. It'll only take a few minutes. Well, I never heard of such thing. A passenger simply doesn't have any privacy at all. I've traveled on a lot of different lines, but I've certainly never heard of anything... Sir, I wonder if you mind moving over to the other rail. I'd like to look through these lockers. Sure, go ahead. What's the matter? You lost something? No. No, just looking things over. Well, there's nothing in there but life preservers. Yeah, that's right. You must be getting ready to sink the boat. <laughs> Gonna collect the insurance, huh? Gonna <laughs> send us all to the bottom, huh? <laughs> Not one of us could find that deadly shape, coiled in some dark corner or outstretched along a window seat. Not one of us caught a glimpse of that horrid head with its beady, black, watchful eyes. The thing lay waiting out there somewhere along the decks, shaded in the gathering dusk. But where? We didn't know. It was nearly dark when we met together again in the chart room. Well, gentlemen, there's no other way around it. We risk all the time we can. We've got to warn the passengers. Uh, how do we do it, Captain? To call them all together in the lounge? No, if we did anything like that, we'd be asking for a panic. We'll get one, whether we ask for it or not. Uh, we pick a few men and go through the cabin decks. Tell them individually, inside the cabins. Watch for any that act like they might cause trouble. We'll keep an eye on them. Handle the crew the same way. Right, Captain. As soon as you're finished, arm all the deck officers and start searching again. Our only chance of preventing a riot is to find that damnable snake. The slow nightmare that followed grew worse by the hour. None of us slept. All the ship's officers not on duty kept on with that endless search. Passengers locked themselves in their cabins or huddled together in the lounges, knowing all the time that no spot on board could be called safe. Fear was a heavy fog in the lungs of all of us. 
and every light on the vessel burned throughout the night. Morning came, brought no relief. Terror and tension mounted by the hour. There, now, Mrs. Crane, stop getting yourself all worked up and go back to your cabin. The horrid thing's probably crawled overboard anyway. Oh, you're just saying that. You're paid to say that. You don't know. Nobody knows. Now, now, everything's going to be all right If only we can do something. If all of us could could only get off the ship, they they could fumigate it. Yes, that's it. We've got to. We've got to get off the ship. We've got to get off the ship. Wait. Mr. Bowman, she's going to jump. Hold it out, lady. Nice work, Mr. Bowman. Get her down to her cabin. And whatever you do, don't turn her loose. You never know when it might strike you. You can't put on a coat or move a chair without risking your life. Something's got to be done. It might be right here in this lounge. All right, listen up. Better quiet down and take it easy. Take it easy? You're a great officer. Why don't you do something about it? That thing might be crawling around here right under our feet somewhere. I said shut up. Are you trying to start a panic? I got a right to talk. I don't want to die. Nobody's going to tell me what. The second night passed. Morning came round again. A gray and rainy day that dragged past. Then night came down again. Third night of the terror. Again, every light burned, the whole ship seethed in the throes of incipient panic. Faced by a horror they'd never met on the sea before, crew and officers alike were on the verge of revolt. Passengers sat huddled in a trance-like stupor, ready to scream at the slightest unknown sound. Seven bells, I made my way forward to the chart room, found Captain Wood bent over a desk. Oh, hello, Christopher. Come on in. Sit down. It's got to be somewhere, Captain Wood. It's got to be. I don't know. You could search the ship for six months and never touch all the places aboard. If we can only hold out for two more days, we'll be in. What's the home office say? Use the latest wireless from them. Keep quiet and keep coming. (laughs) What else can we do? How is it on the decks? Pretty bad. Anything could happen. Yes, that's why I took the guns away from the men. One pistol shot, and we'd have a riot on our hands. The whole thing's my fault, Captain Wood. That's what I can't oh, forget. I'll take it easy, uh, There was only some way I could pay for it myself alone. No. I know how you feel. But it's no more your fault than mine, or the man who asked you to bring that snake back alive. Nobody planned this. You'd better try to get a little sleep, boy. Sleep? Mr. Bowman made some coffee down in the steward's galley a while ago. Why don't you go on down and get yourself a cup? Then... Rest for a couple of hours. Rest? I can't rest. Christopher, it's not going to help anything if you stumble through a hatch half asleep and break your neck, is it? You go on and get some coffee. One way or another, we've got to hold out for two more days. Light was on the steward's galley. Coffee pot was standing on the stove. Still warm, so I didn't bother to heat it. Poured out a cup, carried it over, and set it on the porcelain tabletop in the center of the room. I started to light a cigarette. The door of the pan cupboard beneath the sink was standing slightly ajar. I happened to glance toward it. I dropped the cigarette, moved slowly backward. I'd found the Bushmaster. (laughs) 
As I moved, the snake slid out of the cupboard in a single sinuous glide, drew back into a loose coil on the galley floor, never taking his eyes off me. I moved slowly back, waiting any moment for that deadly slithering strike. How had he known it was me? He'd stayed quiet when Bowman was here. How had he picked the first time in five days that I was without a gun? My hands touched the bulkhead behind me and I stopped. Only then I realized in terror what I'd done. The call button and the door were on the far side of the room. I'd backed into a dead end. I stared at the snake in fascination, expecting any moment the ripping slash of those poison fangs. The horrid coils tightened a little. Then we're still again. Ten million years of evolution to produce this moment. Homo sapiens versus Lachesis muta. A man against mute fate. And all the odds were on fate. I knew then that I was going to die. I could feel the sweat run down between the painted walls and the palms of my hands pressing against it. My skin crawled and twitched and the pit of my stomach was as cold as ice. There was no sound but the rush of blood in my ears. The snake shifted again, drawing into a tighter coil, always tighter. Why didn't the devil get it over with? Then, just for an instant, his head veered away. Something moved over by the stove. I didn't dare turn to look at it. Slowly, it moved out into my line of vision. It was a cat. That scrawny cat, Clara, that Mother Willis had sneaked to Fort LaGuardia. His back was arched and every hair stood on end. It moved, stiff-legged now, walking in a half circle around the snake. The bushmaster moved slowly and kept watching the cat. He tightened was going to strike at any second. He struck and missed. The cat was barely out of reach. Now she was walking back and forth again. She was asking to die. Missed again. By a fraction of an inch. He was striking now without even going to a full coil. Missed. Again and again, always missing by the barest margin. Each time, the cat danced barely out of reach, and each time she countered with one precise spat of a dainty paw, bracing her skinny frame on three stiff legs. And then suddenly, I realized what she was doing. The Bushmaster was tired, and one strike was just an instant slow, but in that split second, sharp claws raked across the evil head and ripped out both the lidless eyes. The cat had deliberately blinded the snake. He didn't bother to coil out, but slid after her in a fury, striking wildly and rapidly, always missing. And every strike was a little slower than the last one until finally... As the snake's neck stretched out at the end of the strike, the cat made one leap and sank her razor-sharp teeth just back of the ugly head. Sank her until they crunched bone. Tooth and claw, she clung as the monstrous snake flailed and lashed on the floor, striving to get those hideous coils around her, trying to break her hold, to shake off the claw in certain paralyzing death that gradually crept over him and at last stilled his struggles forever. I took a deep breath. The first in minutes. The cat lay on her side on the floor, panting, resting from the fight just over. She had a right to rest. That mangy, brave, beautiful alley cat had just saved my life. And maybe others as well. But as I turned toward the stove, I suddenly became very humble. And 
I knew all at once what a small thing a human being really is. I and others aboard were still alive only by the merest accident. There were three reasons why that cat had fought and killed the world's deadliest snake. And those three reasons came tottering out from under the stove on shaky little legs. Three kittens with their eyes bright with wonder and their tails stiff as pokers. Up on the decks, hundreds of passengers were waiting for the news that the days and nights of terror were ended. They could wait a little longer. I pulled open the doors of the cabinet, found a can of milk. Then I dropped down on my knees on the floor of the galley. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. And tonight brought you A Shipment of Mute Fate by Martin Storm. Adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. Featuring Harry Bartell as Chris Warner, Barry Kroger as Captain Wood, and Peggy Weber as Mother Willis. With Don Diamond, Sarah Selby, and Frank Gerstel. Special effects by David Light. The musical score was conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Next week... You are hanging by your fingertips on the sheer face of an ice cliff, suspended 2,000 feet above instant death, with your strength running out and with no chance for escape. Next week... Escape with C.E. Montague's exciting story, Action. Good night, then, until this same time next week when CBS again offers you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.